So let me ask, anyone surprised by 2020? <laughs> I'm 48. It's the strangest year of my life, without a doubt. There's nothing even close to it. Anybody think 2020 might get worse? Like November 3rd might just be a date with destiny? Like, oh, 44, whatever it is, 40 days and counting. Ah. <laughs> it's been nonstop, right? It's just been like wave after wave after wave. School starts, parents think, all right, we get back to some normalcy. We get back to schedule. This is good news. And then smoke, school's canceled. Kids are home. Surprise, all right? Here's what happens when that wave after wave after wave continues in your life where things are out of control and out of your control. You get this condition, it's called learned helplessness. You become like a beat dog almost, thinking, okay, what's next? What's next? How's it gonna get worse? Oh no. So how do you prevent that? Well, I think it's 1 Peter chapter four. So I was actually gonna skip this little section because Peter has talked about suffering quite a bit, but he just keeps coming back to it. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about suffering, but then after the Almeida fires, I thought, well, it feels like we need to talk about this again. So we're going to hit this again. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> Don't be surprised. Fiery trials in the Greek, that literally means the West Coast in 2020. <laughs> oh, so here's what Peter is saying to you and me in this verse. He's saying this, hugely important. Ready or not, here it comes. Ready or not, here it comes. Trials are going to come. You can either be ready or you can be not ready, that's it. But for most believers, we are closet legalists when it comes to difficulty, right? So we think when something hard happens, difficult, we get surprised because we think, well, we lived a certain way. Why is this happening to me? Is God punishing me? We're all closet legalists. So Wednesday morning after the Almeida fire had started, I was looking at Twitter, just kind of reading through Almeida fire, hashtag Almeida fire. And as I'm reading through it on Wednesday morning, this came up. And this is a, I just took a picture of it. It's from West Brown, West going green. Hey, John, I'm in Medford. Ashland, Oregon. Hell is here. I think my house is standing. I'm going to check now, but still threatened. I can't grasp how, why, John, I drive a Prius and recycle. How good is that? I, I'm doing everything right. I recycle. I drive a Prius. How can my house burn down, right? <laughs> it's so awesome. Like, I love this guy. Thank you. Aren't we that way? We believe, fill in the blank, whatever we have done is going to prevent a fiery trial from coming in our life. 
right? I drive a Prius. I recycle. I volunteer. I give 10% of my money away. I donate a kidney. Why is this happening to me, right? So what we end up becoming is we become Job's friends who for 30 chapters say to Job, bro, what'd you do wrong? What's your secret sin, right? Commit adultery, got a mistress somewhere, lie on your taxes. Job, what did you do wrong? Why is this happening to you? We're surprised. Let me make something really clear to you. If God were to punish you for your sins, you would be dead, right? Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin, the results of, the repercussions of, the end result, the wages of sin is death. If God were to punish you for your sins, you would be dead. And yet this is in us. This kind of, oh no, right? I did everything right. Why is this trial coming coming on me? And so the Bible, we try to like, sometimes I think make things uh, smooth and simplify life. The Bible does not do that. It lets life be very bumpy. It doesn't smooth it out. The Bible says when you suffer, there are sources to it. Source number one, broken world. In Genesis 3, humans broke the world. And with the repercussions, the very fabric that God had designed rippled and cracked and fractured. We live in a broken world. And so Jesus puts it like this. It's John excuse me, it's Matthew 19. He's talking to his disciples. He says this, in the new world, the palingenesia in the Greek, the remade Genesis, the back to Eden in the new world, when the king is on the throne, Jesus says, you will be repaid a hundredfold for the difficulties you're going through. So Jesus just says, this world isn't the way it's supposed to be, but there's coming a palingenesia and in that palingenesia, the stuff that you went through, ah, hundredfold. So suffering comes because we live in a broken world with broken DNA and fires and catastrophes. It's broken. Number two source of suffering is broken people. You can just keep reading. Verse 15 says this. There's murderers. There's thieves. There's evildoers. There's meddlers, right? How much of the evil in scripture is because of a person. Do the calculation sometime. It's actually very simple. A lot of what we see when it comes to suffering is because of broken people being broken people, denying, betraying, lying, cheating, adultery, you name it, just broken people. And even, even the best of relationships that you have, one that there's not sin and there's not that garbage that leads to suffering, a great relationship with somebody, every relationship in this life ends in sorrow. Do you know that? Eventually, one of you will stand at the grave of the other person. Every relationship will end in sorrow because it's broken people. Got a broken world, got broken people, and there's a broken rule here. So we'll get to chapter five next week where Peter says, oh, by the way, there's this being, he calls him the devouring lion. 
I had a theology professor that called him the chaos monster. And all he wants to do is steal and kill and destroy. And he is alive and well on earth. Peter says he's out to devour, that there's a broken rule right now. And this broken rule, it's, it's catastrophes go out everywhere. And the Bible makes it clear that Satan has power. You can read 1 John 5, 19. The Bible says this, the whole earth, how much of the earth is contained in the whole earth, right? The whole earth lies under the sway of the evil one. Every house, every corner, every neighborhood, every city, every country, listen, there is demonic influence that leads to suffering. That there is a real kingdom of darkness and that kingdom of darkness causes chaos and disaster and destruction wherever it is and it's everywhere, right? So the Bible says, listen, life is not a playground. It's a battleground. You wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Jesus was attacked by Satan, Matthew chapter four, right? You just go on and on. First Corinthians 12, nine, second Corinthians 12, nine, Paul, a guy who did a lot of things right, he says a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him, cause him to suffer. Second Corinthians chapter 10 says the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. It's not an AR-15. Because that's, that's not the battle. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual. And we've got a mighty power to the pulling down of these spiritual, wicked, high places, right? So it's, there's broken rule here, right? Just look at the book of Job. We get a hint, just a glimpse at the wizard behind it in chapter one. Job never gets it. We get it because there's broken rule. So I wanna warn you about something. When bad things happen to you, whatever, there is a, a, a desire to kind of blanket it with this statement. And the statement is this, all things happen for a, is that biblical? Do all things happen for a reason? And what we mean by that is God is causing this to happen, right? God wants this to happen. So people that jack up their life, right? They smoke pot, they get fired from the job, they go bankrupt, they lose their home. Well, all things happen for a reason. Really, man? Really? The root of it is from a verse in the Bible. But let's read that verse very carefully. It's Romans 8.28, and I have it up. Listen to this. Is this saying all things happen for a reason? For we know that for those who love God, this is a specific category of people. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, according to its purpose. It's a specific group of people doing a specific activity, right? Not all things work together for good. Not, excuse me, all things happen for a reason. This is, there's a category of people that God is saying, I will work on your behalf and I will take the tapestry, the broken ends of life, and I'll make sure that they work out for good for you. That's what he's saying. That not everything happens because God wants it to happen. Do you know that? I'll give you a verse, and this is the verse that caused me months of theological thought. I had to remap the way that I looked at the world. It's Jeremiah chapter 32, God speaking. 
speaking about the nation of people that he loved, the nation of people that he redeemed from Egypt, the nation of Israel. And he says this, Jeremiah 32, 34 and 35. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech, child sacrifice. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. What is God saying right there? He's saying, I didn't want that to happen. Child sacrifice, yeah, don't want that to happen. So when we say all things happen for a reason, you gotta take the hardest cases. All things happen for a reason, really? 50 babies, 50 million babies slaughtered in the USA, all things happen for a reason? No way, no way. Don't smooth things out like that. Don't do that, okay? So here's what Peter is saying. Ready or not, here it comes. You wanna get ready? So here's what I think Peter does for us. He says, here's how you get ready. It's coming. You might be in it right now. If you're not, praise God, but eventually it's coming. So I talked to a lot of people that came out of the fire and they all packed suitcases if they could. And they put in there certain things to help them during their suffering, during their hard time. I think Peter gives us a suffering suitcase and he says this, in your suffering suitcase, if you wanna be ready, put some stuff in it and it will help you when it comes for you, okay? So we're gonna talk through a couple things that you and I should have in our suffering suitcase so that when it comes for us, we're ready, we're ready. So number one, pack in your suffering suitcase. Number one, pack some mouthwash because you want good breath, right? You wanna take care of halitosis. Look at this, verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoice. The best way in the world to rejoice is to verbalize it, to speak it out. Matt, how do you do that? Like, hey, my house is burning down. Awesome, pass me a kazoo, let's party. No, you could do that. But I actually think that there are better ways, biblical ways that you can look at your circumstances and there can still be a way to verbalize joy. So let me give you a really great Bible verse. It's 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And it's talking about difficulty. And if you wanna read the author's difficulty, read 2 Corinthians 11, where he lists out his difficulty. Beaten, imprisoned, left for dead, shipwrecked. It's, it's a verse after verse after verse of a very difficult life. And he says this about that. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The suffering that you and I are going through or will go through. Here's what Paul says. It's actually, it's actually working for you. It's your servant. 
And the service it does for you and me is this. It gives you and me an eternal weight of glory. It's transforming us into something brilliant and beautiful. It's like Caleb. Remember him, 12 spies go in, they go into the land, they say, ah, that's too hard there. That's too much suffering in there. They're too big, the problems are too big. We can't do it in there, 10 of them do. What does Caleb say about that same difficulty? He says, it's bread for me. That's gonna feed me. That's gonna strengthen me. That's a perspective. That's a rejoicing perspective that you and I can have, right? Number two, there's this guy, his name is Matthew Henry. Probably every pastor in the world has his commentaries. Wrote them in the 17th century. He is quoted. One day he was robbed. He went home, he grabbed his journal and he wrote down three things after he was robbed. Number one, he said this, I thank you that this was the first time that man robbed me. Number two, I thank you. They took my wallet and not my life. Number three, I thank you that I was robbed and not the robber. That's what you're supposed to do. Verbalize it, right? So masks, we are a mask wearing congregation, aren't we? <laughs> we are just absolutely following that mandate, <laughs> right? So when masks came out, I am not a mask wearing guy. I just, I don't like it. So um, I wrote down this though. This is what I wrote about masks. I said, number one, I'm thankful that when I wear a mask, no one can see if I have boogers in my nose. Number two, I am thankful that when I wear a mask, I can't smell bad breath and no one can smell mine, right? It's that idea that in the midst of things that maybe you don't like, there's a way that you can rejoice, that you can choose to say, okay, I'm gonna back up and try to see this situation. So pack mouthwash, pack mouthwash. Number two, pack a credit card. In suffering, you're going to need outside help. You're gonna need access to a power that's not yours, to an account that is not yours. So look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. There's something unique in suffering. And what happens when you suffer, you have access to power on credit. You have access to God's account. And Peter just calls it the spirit of glory. I love that word glory. If you've been at Edgewater for any time, you know I talk about it because it has this rich history that goes back to the Old Testament. And it's this word kavod. It literally means weight. Glory means weight. Anyone wanna be a lightweight, insignificant, junior varsity? No, we wanna be heavyweights. That's this word kavod that it's in suffering that you get this heavy weightness, that it's power from God's throne that he gives you. And it's when you need it, it's like electricity, that there's always electricity running through your house, right? But until you are tapped into it and turned on, that's when it power, the power flows. When you need heat or air conditioning or to power up your phone or whatever, the lights, that's when the power flows, okay? God's power of kavod flows when you're in suffering. You get tapped in to a different 
kind of account. So this is how the Apostle Paul put it. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven. He said, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Power flows in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You gotta pack a credit card. And it's in suffering, and I don't think it happens any other way, you tap into a power that's only available to people suffering. And I don't think there has been a year that has gone by at Edgewater that I have not seen a family go through intense suffering and see God's kavod on them. Unimaginable suffering, the loss of a baby boy. And there's kavod and there's power and there's grace and there's strength. And you tap into it in that moment. You gotta pack that credit card. You gotta pack that credit card. Number three, you gotta pack some soap. You gotta pack some soap. I talked with a guy back here. He came, uh, he was part of the evacuees. Um, and he said, he took a shower here. So it was in last service. You wouldn't believe how many people were thankful that we had a shower. They said, I feel human again. Ha, huh, thank you. Thank you. I'm all sweaty, it's 100 degrees. Thank you for a shower. You gotta pack some soap. Okay, look at this, verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Don't add suffering. Don't wallow in sin and get all dirty. And then because of that, you suffer even more because of sin. Don't suffer more. You know that some suffering is self-inflicted. I think we call it the Darwin Awards. I say every Darwin Award begins with this statement. Hey, I have an idea. Here, hold my beer. Darwin! All right. (laughs) Some suffering is self-inflicted. Some suffering is because of sin. Now, let me ask you this question. When you suffer because of sin, is it God punishing you? Well, let's look at the Bible. What does the Bible say? Numbers 32, 23. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure God will get you. God's gonna punish you. No, your sin will find you out. Sin has its own built-in repercussions. How about Jeremiah 2, 19? Your evil will chastise you and your apostasy will reprove you. What's chastising you? What's reproving you? Yep. Or Proverbs 6.32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. 
how much pain comes from that sin. Listen, sin is a seed. When you plant it, it might be nice for a while. Eventually, it's gonna produce a crop and it's just built into it. Not God getting you, not God punishing you. It's sin doing what sin does. It brings about its own repercussions. And so Peter gives this list, right? Murder, thief, evildoer, meddler. <laughs> I read that list and I was reminded of Myron bringing home from preschool those little papers where it's circled the thing that does not belong, right? Murder, okay. Grand Theft Auto, okay. Evil, okay. Busybody, really? <laughs> That's in that list? <laughs> that seems crazy. What if people were arrested for being a busybody? Who'd be left to go to church? How would that work out for you in prison? Dude, what are you in for? Murder. How about you, Grand Theft Auto? How about you? Ah, oh, I was meddling. Oh. <laughs> but think about how much pain comes from meddling. Sticking your nose in someone's business that you shouldn't. So we're reading through Proverbs right now at breakfast and we read Proverbs 25 on Wednesday and Proverbs 25, 25 says this. He who meddles is like a man that grabs a dog by the ear. What's gonna happen to you? You can get bit, right? But Matt, if I don't, they'll get away with it. Really? You think too much of yourself. And Peter has a solution for it. It's the last thing, right? It's trust. You gotta trust. When these fires hit, people had to trust somebody. They had to trust the first responders. Get out, I don't see a fire. Doesn't matter, get out, right? Doesn't make sense, doesn't matter, get out. You gotta trust somebody else. And ultimately, in suffering, you gotta trust somebody else. So look at this, verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, because of all this, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You gotta trust. You gotta trust God with the ungodly. That's how you don't meddle, okay? Because if you're gonna meddle, that's a full-time job, man. That's all you will do with yourself. And unless, here's what I found, unless I am close with a person where I have poured into them and I have a bank account that I can draw on, or that person wants to change, I found if those two things aren't there and I try to inject myself into a situation, I've never been able to help. My meddling has just made things worse and made my relationship with that person worse. It either has to be, I have a massive bank account and I can go and get a withdrawal from it, or they have to come to me and say, bro, this is what's happening, help me. Every other time it's just made a mess. So now I know I'm just praying for them. I'm praying they either come to me or God makes a real clear opportunity for me because I'm not gonna meddle in this because it never seems to work out right. You gotta trust. Trust God, he can judge, he can take care of it. So you trust God, number two, you gotta trust God with your suffering. Notice verse 19 says, according to God's will. 
This is not suffering because you're stupid or because you're sinful. This is you are about God's business. It's Romans 8, 28. It's that kind of idea, okay? You've got to trust God in those. And this might be the most important thing you can get today. It's where you take the ideas of Christianity, the ideas of God, and they become concrete. It's where you go from the sinking sand of philosophy to the solid rock of Jesus as your savior. It's in these moments. It's stuff you know about becomes what you actually live out. It's here. It's when you trust. So let me try to illustrate it like this. Um, I went to OSU, studied engineering there. Part of what we studied at one point was this company, Metolius, uh, gave us a bunch of rock climbing gear. And we were to study and calculations and then test how strong is this stuff? How strong is mountain climbing gear, like rock climbing gear? And so we went through all the calculations and then we actually tested it. Like, when does this stuff break? You can pick up a full-size truck with that stuff. It's unbelievably strong, incredible stuff, right? So I had all those facts in my head. And then I had a buddy, his name was Mike Knapp, also an engineer, who was an avid rock climber. And he invited me to go over to Smith Rock and to climb Smith Rock. And I had never done rock climbing at any kind of rock in my life. So I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome, let's go. So we go over there and we do this two pitch ascent, which means we go up 100 feet, we pull up all of our gear, and then we go up another 100 feet. So we're up 200 feet in the air and we're standing on this, it's an eight inch ledge, that's it. And there's like hundreds of feet of cliff above us. And you're standing there and you're like, oh man, that's scary. I'm like, this is awesome, this is exhilarating. And I noticed Mike is like looking through all of his gear and he seems a little like concerned. I'm like, Mike, what's going on, bro? He's like, oh man, we need another rope. Like, Mike, what does that mean? We need another rope, (laughs) right? I become very businesslike in those situations. Tell me what this means, all right? He goes, well, um, normally what you do is you just, you repel yourself down, right? It's very comforting to let yourself down. He goes, well, what that means is um, I'm gonna have to let you down off this cliff. I said, no, what does that mean? He means you have to turn backwards, face me, and then just jump off and I'll let you down. I said, no, I choose life. There's gotta be another way. Call a helicopter, I don't care. I'm not doing this, man. He's like, bro, we have studied this stuff. We have tested, this is strong, you can trust me. I don't care, I'm not doing this. There is another option, right? We're engineers, we figure out other options. Figure out another option, right? Well, four hours later, I'm there face to face with him. Like we're on an eight inch ledge, right? I'm as close to a man as I want to be. Actually, I'm closer to a man than I want to be, right? So it's just there and I'm like, do you have me? What I wanted to say was I hate you, but I didn't because he had my rope. So it was just jump, right? Everything in my body is screaming, don't do this. But I had trust. In suffering, there comes a moment where everything is screaming, don't do this and you have to trust. You have to entrust yourself, your soul, to a faithful creator. And that's when things change. You become something different. The theology that fills your notebooks all of a sudden actually fills your heart. The word becomes flesh and transforms you. And I don't know if it can happen any other way. I think it has to happen through this. Suffering. And then lastly, like only Peter can do, he can't leave it just theological. He has to also say, doing good. If you're suffering, do good. 
And a lot of you did that for other people this week, this last week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But this is actually talking about you personally. Because there is a tendency when we suffer to go isolate ourselves and cocoon ourselves and just to stay away and just hibernate. And Peter would say, do not do that. Do not do that. That if you will get out of yourself, you'll bloom, you'll fly, something will happen to you. It's like Winston Churchill said this, if you find yourself in hell, keep going, right? It's, we're supposed to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not camp in the valley of the shadow of death. And the way that you move through things is saying, okay, in my suitcase, I got a mouthwash, I got a credit card, I got soap, I got trust, and I'm also gonna do good. That the way that you process through things the best is often to say, I need to help somebody else. I'm gonna volunteer now. I'm not gonna sit and wallow in this. I'm gonna get out, I'm gonna help somebody else. It's 2 Corinthians chapter one. With the comfort God has shown you in your tribulation, comfort other people. There'll be a container that just gets spoiled, be a conduit that flows through you and it's fresh and you move through and you grow, have mission, do good. And this whole thing for Peter was spurred by verse one of chapter four that says this, since therefore Christ suffered. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It was Christ's sufferings that spurred all this. And he links together suffering and glory. Just like 2 Corinthians 4, 17, these light afflictions, suffering, are working for us an eternal weight of glory. They're always linked. They're always linked. So every Sunday we come to the table because it reminds us of this, that, that Jesus, for the joy set before him, right? He endured the cross. That's what Jesus did. And I think, I think it's like this, like suffering and glory, they're connected. You can't have one without the other. It's almost like this, okay? Do you want to be muscular? Kind of like me. What do, you have to do, what do you have to do to your muscles to be muscular? You got to make them suffer. That's what weightlifting is. It's making your muscles suffer. If you don't, you won't. I think it's like that that the glory that we actually really want, the only way that glory comes to pass in our lives is through suffering. It's just the way it is in this broken world today, right? So we take, we take communion because it reminds us of that, that Jesus, same thing for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And in suffering, we often ask the question, why? But I think a Jesus question is actually to what end? What are you producing? And I can answer it for you. Glory, kavod, weight. Well, Matt, that doesn't help me today. Oh, it can. Oh, it can. And here's how. So I've given this illustration before. Imagine two people, dead-end job, terrible boss, antichrist as a owner of the company, just as bad as it gets. One of them is told, hey, at the end of this year, you get a company embroidered backpack. The other one is told at the end of this year, if you persevere, you get a billion dollars. 
Will it change their today if they have that hope? If you let God's kavod, if you let this promise come into your soul, it can transform you today. It can. That's the power of it. So we eat and we drink of this. So grab it or grab mine. Father, we hold in our hands the tangible reminder of your unspeakable gift. That you did not take the easy way out. You weren't born as a king with pomp and a silver spoon. You came as a babe in an occupied country and you were betrayed and denied and beaten. And you did that for the joy set before you that you could redeem my life, our lives, that you could recreate a world that has shalom. If you did that, if you spared not your only son, but you delivered him up on our behalf, how shall you not with him give us all good things? May we trust you. Our backs may, we, may be to the cliff. We might be suffering more than we think we can handle. May we trust you. That this is how kavod comes. So I ask, as we eat this morning, that we would trust you. Let's eat together. Jesus, we hold the cup. The cup of forgiveness. The cup of cleansing. pray for each of us Lord. may you take the soap of your spirit and cleanse us today may you redirect passions that have gone awry may you put sin into remission in the body of Christ today I pray so may each of us drink your cleansing your forgiveness your remission today. Let's drink together.